0: Dr. Piers Robinson is an expert on communication, media and world politics, focusing on conflict and war, and especially the role of propaganda. He is presently co-director of the Organisation for Propaganda Studies, convener of the Working Group on Syria, Propaganda and Media, and associated researcher with the Working Group on Propaganda and the 9-11 War on Terror. From 2016 to 2019, he was Professor and Chair in Politics, Society and Political Journalism at the University of Sheffield. Dr. Robinson has served on the boards of several academic journals. He's lectured at the NATO Defence College in Rome and briefed senior UK military commanders and diplomats. His research interests focus on organised persuasive Communication and Contemporary Propaganda, and his current projects include Propaganda and the Syrian Conflict, Propaganda during the 9 11 War on Terror, Propaganda and COVID 19. Dr. Robinson's books include The Routledge Handbook of Media Conflict and Security in 2016, Pockets of Resistance, British News Media War and Theory in the 2003 Invasion of Iraq, and The CNN Effect. The Myth of News, Foreign Policy and Intervention in 2002. Dr. Piers Robinson, thank you very much for joining us. I know it's early there in the morning, but hey, who needs sleep? Not me. (laughs) To what extent has propaganda been used by various governments to shape the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Well, the the short answer to that, um, to what extent, to to a very great extent, um, propaganda has been part and parcel of of the policies which have been used to respond to uh, COVID Um, nineteen. It it wouldn't be an underestimate uh, underestimation to say that this is probably one of the biggest um, propaganda operations that we've seen in history, because of the global nature. Um, And because the resources put into it. Um, But it's been very extensive. And I mean, perhaps before anyone thinks this is wild speculation, it it was pretty clear from the beginning um, that propaganda was being employed. And so in the UK, um, the SPY-B, the behavioural psychologist um, advisory board who advised governments, documents which they had produced um, came out which talked about use of the media to um, increase fear levels amongst the public and also talking about a range of incentivization and coercive measures used to try to get people to um, support or buy into lockdown and so on that came out very early on um, those documents in the uk context um, other very very clear indicators that sort of Propaganda was being employed was the fact that very early on, big tech, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, um, agreed to come on board with censoring, um, various, uh, arguments against lockdown, for example, and quite people questioning, um, COVID 19. Uh, and, and that was, that was done, you know, above board in a sense. And in the UK, you had Ofcom, the broadcast regulator, actually. You know, specifying that, that broadcast media needed to stay in line um, with advice from the government. Um, and, and this all came out you know, fairly early on during the pandemic. And obviously, from the point of view of the governments are on one level, at least, this was seen as well when we have a, a, a major crisis or what was perceived as a major crisis. And we have to pursue these um, propagandistic methods in order to deal with it and and I guess that's the kind of sort of the justification for it initially but over time I mean the propaganda I think is becoming increasingly clear to increasing numbers of people that the propaganda has uh, you know really presented a very distorted um, understanding of what's going on and has allowed what can only be described as very extraordinary measures locking down whole societies for long periods of time Now, this drive to vaccinate not just vulnerable groups but to vaccinate everybody, and and threats obviously of mandating vaccination for people, even children. Um, And if you were to describe those scenarios to anyone a couple of years ago, they said it is extraordinary um, that this is uh, being sort of pushed and promoted. Um, in, in in this context, in relation to you know what's now an endemic um, seasonal respiratory virus, um, and and it's very clear. I mean, there's there's you know in time more evidence will be pulled out, but I, I don't think there's a, any dispute now that that propaganda has played a key role in shaping the minds of people and their understanding of the virus and of underpinning. Uh, essentially i I think it's reasonable to say very draconian extreme responses that we've seen and which carry on today and seem to be getting
0: more extreme to be quite Mm -hmm. honest Mm -hmm. Uh, trevor fitzgibbon um, uh, who described um, and he referred back to what happened in iraq and it says he says it continues that this is a uh, an information operation Um, which basically changes the opinion of a nation or uh, communities. Um, Do you think this is an information operation, uh, say, from government intelligence communities and other contractors to change the attitude for a particular reason? And the question is then, what is that reason?
1: Well, I mean, as I say, the, the idea that to manipulation and, and, and behavior, it, psychological operation, modifying behavior, this has clearly, been you know, there's no dispute that that's been at work, and in, in a way, governments aren't denying it, that they've been employing these measures. The question that you, you've raised is then, what is this driving, driving for? I mean, and, you know, sort of obviously, the kind of superficial reading is that, well, okay, the propaganda is there to try to realize these public health objects and so on. And this is simply scientists and, and governments trying to deal with, with, with a pandemic and, and so on. Um, and that's all there is to it. Um, I think what is becoming increasingly clear, certainly in my mind, and, and what I'm becoming increasingly concerned about, is that you know this is clearly not being driven by... Um, a, a, a health crisis this is clearly we are at a point now a year and a half into this um, with profound changes and restructuring going on to our societies whether it's digital currencies vaccine passports and so on you know, continued suspension of civil liberties that what we seem to have here is a uh, political actors, or if you want to describe them as that, exploiting the circumstances for political um, objectives, political and economic and social objectives. Um, I think, you know, without getting into any particular sort of theory about what's going on, I mean, it's certainly very clear, for example just to focus this point that organizations such as the World Economic Forum have had a very specific vision from the very beginning about how to respond to uh, COVID-19 and a very specific vision about the future, Um, talking about the fourth industrial revolution, um, smart cities and so on. And what it appears to be the case is that Actors such as that are using and exploiting COVID for substantial political, social, economic restructuring. And, of course, where propaganda comes back into this is that if this is the case, and this is looking extremely, increasingly likely this is the case, then all of this is being done without any kind of realistic, any kind of democratic scrutiny without any kind of awareness from publics because people are thinking this is all about a virus and people are scared and terrified and and parliaments and and lawmakers are, are going along with the agenda as is the mainstream media and academics and so all of these changes which these Elements out there, such as the World Economic Forum, are trying to push through are being done without any meaningful um, attention from the public or, or democratic mm. scrutiny. And that's the most scary thing about this. We're going, I mean, you know, to, to become more speculative, it looks like we're going through massive changes now, absolutely huge changes. Um, and everybody's, as it were, caught in the headlights of panic over a virus um and they're missing the really significant important things which are going on um and you know as any democrat would would tell you that's very very dangerous terrified populations distracted um creates a huge opportunity for powerful entities um Big business, governments, and and so on, or people with agendas, and you have power to realise that. Um, And as much as I've I've hoped for some time that this is it's just a health emergency, they've overreacted, and it will come to an end at some point. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. You know, we're we're moving into um, yeah mm. into a pretty um, worrying territory now. Mm. Um, in terms of what we're seeing how governments and
0: certainly western governments are behaving the the mask i mean is it is that part of the the propaganda the visual because you know we know it doesn't work uh and i've shown people videos of of, uh, people that we've interviewed have done demonstrations on the efficacy of the mask and Mm. it don't work it's but is Mm. that just the to remind them of the fear part of the whole propaganda mechanism in the UK, there's
1: a very good book has been written by um, Laura Dodsworth a state of fear and, and she uh, managed to interview a number of people, behavioural psychologists who, who were working for the government and, and, and Laura sort of I think managed to get this kind of access to these people because she, she was seen as sort of uh, uh, sort of not a political scientist not, not a hard-nosed aggressive investigative journalist but just somebody who wanted to find out what was going on and, and my understanding is, is that you, and I, I don't think this is particularly controversial that, that the mask was primarily primarily about um, keeping people's fear levels up, making constant reminder that, as you say, the effectiveness of them, according to people who look at this, there's very few studies which suggest that least stop the virus in any meaningful way. That it's really more about just trying to sort of keep the virus at the forefront of people's minds. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, exactly as you describe and uh, in my understanding is that that's not particularly controversial anymore and uh, uh, Enough sort of behavioural scientists have opened their mouths and said, "Well, yes, that's what it uh, is. What it's mainly about." Mm. Um, and that's pretty, you know. I mean, I find that really alarming that that we can have, you know, that my daughters can have to go to school and have to wear masks all day long <sighs> mm. for those reasons. Yeah, this is this is extremely worrying um, uh, that that we're in this situation, and, and so many people think that they need to wear a mask when. This is not really about. It seems it's not really about protecting people from the virus. It's simply about um, managing their perceptions mm. and ensuring that the fear, the anxiety of of, of the virus, is ever present. Um, so, mm. <clears throat> yeah, I think it. it, it, it many people argue it is part of the,
0: as it were, the psych, psychological dimension of this. Is the um part of the uh, propaganda mechanism here to divide also because uh, back to the mask i mean it's it's truly amazing the the people that now we call it dobbing in uh to the authorities that the neighbor or someone's not wearing a mask or they'll do a you know in the states it's a 911 call here it's a triple zero call uh to to report someone not wearing a mask but what it does it actually divides it divides the community is that, is that part of do you think part of the agenda here to divide and then conquer those that you know because you know 80 percent of australians say that you know the masks are great the government's doing a wonderful thing uh there is there's no contrary view out there except for what we're saying mm-hmm. uh part of the the whole mechanism of propaganda Um,
1: I I think that this this idea of dividing control is one which is becoming more apparent. I mean, maybe not so much in the masks, but what we're starting to see and actually we've seen over the last couple of weeks in relation to mandated vaccination. And I've certainly seen over the last seven or eight days a worrying number of influencers, high profile people talking over social media, talking about blaming um continued restrictions on the unvaccinated and this should ring alarm bells for anybody who has you know even the, the, the most basic grasp of history that you start to talk about segregating you start to talk about people who are unclean, unhealthy, unvaccinated versus vaccinated. None of this stuff has has strong scientific basis as far as I understand. Sort of all of the the, the level headed epidemiologists that, that, that I listen to people such as Sinetra Gupta from Oxford are, are very clear that that you know sort of this idea that the unvaccinated spread or cause a problem and so on is, is not accurate scientifically. But that is the kind of message which is being communicated by people who have been pushing the agenda from the beginning, and that will create divisions. And, you know, we've been in this place, this kind of place in, in, in history and it ends very, very badly when we start segregating people and we start using that language. But quite terrifyingly, this is the language which is being used yeah. by the people that, you know, who've been pushing you know, draconian restrictions, vaccine for the last two years. I'll name mean, I, I, I think Piers Morgan, the, um, the British broadcaster was Talking very aggressively about the unvaccinated um, just a couple of days ago on, on Twitter. Um, this looks like you know, a drive for division, whether it's calculated or whether it's just a manifestation of, of the kind of um, broader agenda and, and the use of COVID as, as a way of, of, of facilitating change, manipulating people. Um, I'm not sure, but certainly the result of this is, is going to be um well we know from history this can move to very, very dark places. Mm. Um when and it's segregation, right? It's mm. talking vaccinated, unvaccinated. Um plenty of people out there who've made comparisons and Holocaust survivors, for example, is an American Vera, I forget her surname, who's said that, you know, what we see at the moment is is has parallels with what we saw back in the 1930s in Germany. It's not exactly the same, obviously, and and so on. But there are parallels there, and we should be we should be very alarmed with the language that is being used
0: um, that we're seeing. Mm. We had um uh, as as with around the world a, a bunch of Freedom Day marches uh, in Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, a whole lot. Um, Media and government then came out and called them uh, idiots, buffeds, not caring for their fellow Australians and so on. Was this a, just a crude strategy to maybe denigrate and uh, delegitimize the opposition, just to say that they're a bunch of wackos, uh, uh, bad for the yeah. country, and you're the ones that stay at home are just to yeah. be patted on the back and given a licorice? Yeah.
1: The, 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 this is nothing new. If you look at the whole history of, of protest movements and media coverage of protest movements, whether it's the suffragettes, black civil rights, gay mo- gay rights movement, the anti-war movement in Vietnam, uh, ridiculing and demonizing and denigrating protesters you know, happens every single time. And you're seeing it again now with COVID, that the way... To close down people who are raising questions is to say that they're they're Nazis or they're conspiracy theorists or they're wackos, mm. as, as you put it. And and so what we're seeing is is what you have we see again and again within the anti-war movements, other other movements which are people trying to push back against power. Um, and and I, I, I didn't sort of raised this point early, but one of the most alarming things and there's a group in the UK called HEART, which is a group of academics and, and scientists um, who, are quest- who have been questioning since from the beginning COVID-19, the, the evidence that academics have been systematically smeared and attacked and denigrated in the same way that the protesters are is, is very strong now. In fact, very high-profile academics have talked about um, being smeared over social media even the tamest or sort of mainstream academics such as Sunetra Gupta was smeared as a conspiracy theorist, um, because, you know, she, because of her challenge to lockdown. Mm. Um, and so these smears, this casual smearing, which she, which we've seen for many years in, in different realms, is certainly a, a big part of what's going on. And and this should be another warning sign to people who think everything is okay and there are no problems out there. People should ask themselves, why is it the case that, say, with COVID-19, very eminent scientists from the beginning have been smeared um, and have been censored and have been shut out of debate? Uh, that tells you something. That tells you that... Um, this isn't a rational response that's going on. This is a propagandized response. And, and it's being carried through by shutting people up, by humiliating them, smearing yes. them, and yes. so yes. on. As as people such as myself have experienced in, in the territory of covering war and, and propaganda in war, you, you go up against a war or you question the foreign policy of your government, you get
0: smeared. Julian Assange, for example. Mm. Terrible. He's campaigns just... A- against him. It was just the messenger. I mean, it's a... Um, but, again, part of the information operation, uh, or the propaganda operation, which leads me then to the media. I mean, we say mainstream media, but I would say almost 98% of the media uh, has the same narrative. Um, and They're supposedly our gatekeepers to protect us from mistruths and, and so on. How... Uh, How do they get mainstream media or the media then to be part of this whole propaganda exercise or the whole COVID 19? Exercise? Well, I mean, in
1: in the UK context, and and this is probably the case across other democracies in the UK context, I mean, as as I said, there are structural constraints put in straight away. Ofcom required the broadcasters to stay within the the parameters of official guidance. So, um, you know, you have a a proclaimed emergency situation and you have the Ofcom uh, um, regulating the broadcasters to keep them in line. Um, So, so see, so you have that being implemented straight away. But but the question of the mainstream media, I mean, the, as this is my sort of old sort of, sort of territory as, a, as an academic, the political communication literature on the mainstream media for, for decades has, has evidenced the fact that mainstream media have a very close proximity to political and e- economic power. Uh, and you see this at its most extreme in, with, with wars and foreign policy, but it applies across, across the board. Um, and, and the reality is, you know, mainstream media that um, they operate within the same circles and so on as powerful groups and governments. And they share, to a large extent, the same outlook. They rely upon each other for information. And so, you know, And I mean, Herman Chomsky's propaganda model, of course, is the classic sort of articulation of this. That for a number of interlocking reasons, um, journalists just, they're not as critical as they should be. And they are not as independent as they should be. Um, so it's no, in a way, it's no surprise that w- with COVID nineteen that they've been reluctant to go against um, what the government's claiming or arguing. And certainly, when there are there are structural constraints being brought in, and then a huge propaganda campaign, um, you know, it's no surprise that um, journalists are intimidated same applies, okay, for academia as well. Um, I mean, I know full well from working in academia for 20 years how much academics self-censor. And this is some of the commentary which has been coming out from the scientists um, who've been trying to question lockdown, for example, trying to question mass vaccination. Um, is that they say that you know, they come up against pressure within an institution? Stay with the program is, is, is one of the words I have from an American scientist who's been smeared. Was that, you know, you have a kind of a groupthink mentality emerging you have funding streams going in to do certain kinds of work and it becomes very very difficult to, to go against that grain um, and, and so you see this in the media, you see it in academia and frankly I mean I started this by saying this, this is probably one of the biggest propaganda operation in, in history we're seeing it across the board we are seeing um, lawmakers parliaments being incredibly timid And and simply not engaging in the kind of scrutiny and questioning which they should be. Um, Passing policies, mandating in the UK just last week, mandating of compulsory vaccinations for care, home workers... um, in the government introduced that bill at the last minute almost was no time for debate the House of Lords passed it and said that we've got no sort of risk analysis of this but we're passing it anyway yeah. this is not democratic scrutiny and so I think we're seeing all of our institutions in society being bent to this propaganda campaign and not act, not providing the kind of resistance or question they should be and I'll oh, stop in a second and, and, and that's probably why we have the number of people that we do now going out on the streets. We have political parties forming. I know in the UK and Germany and the Netherlands, new political parties have formed, quite broad-based, in order to try to... challenge the covid response but also in in germany devastus is, is is about saying well we've actually lost most of our democratic institutions are hollowed out and most of our institutions in the society are hollowed out we, we have to get democracy back um and so i i think this this kind of the the, the failure yet in the face of the covid 19 propaganda i think is, is leading to the people on the streets and it's also leading to political parties being
0: formed Mm. Um, and I suspect that will continue. Um, it's but to to get their message out, you know. Sure, there are, there are people like myself. And there's, um, there are some on um, cable in the states, such as uh, T- uh, Tucker Carlson, um, but and, and Glenn Greenwald gets his stuff out. But there seems to be those people, far and few, getting that consistent message out. One without the hysteria, because, I, in my opinion. You throw in the hysteria bit, and you got then you have got a, a not event because people just go wow, hysterical. So if we only have a a, an, a, a, a a very small window or only a number of devices, then to get our message out, because Google with the search engines, you know, YouTube, nice. which is the the largest viewed uh, video hosting program in in the world. We have governments with their constant advertising. We have the, 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 the fear with you know of getting the virus and so forth. How do we get the message out there? Because we only have a small window and we're like little fragments and this great steamroller just, just keeps going and going and we're out there saying stop, stop, stop and it just keeps going. So how would we get that message out and have impact? Well, I think at
1: this point, this situation, and, and you know, in, in all of my life and in all of my experience, I've never experienced anything as, as worrying and as extreme as what we're seeing at the moment. You know, you're not going to be able to sort of rely upon your local politician or your mainstream media to suddenly pick up this issue. We're in a phase where, where people need to, um, as it were, mobilize, and I think that's what we're seeing. And, and so, you know, and that means that you're no longer relying necessarily on mainstream media. You're not relying upon them at all. You're not relying upon your existing political parties. You're saying people need to get out and start organizing and communicating. And, and that's probably the key point I'd make here is that For sure, the mainstream media are pushing out a certain line to a very large extent, although that's not entirely uniform. There is, in the UK, there is some mainstream media which is now beginning to seriously question what's going on, the same is the case in Germany as well, and also a little bit in in, in the US. So I think that is starting to change. But in this situation, I think, you know, people mobilising, forming parties, forming their own communication networks um and then we'll have to see what happens with that and the question that we will which we will have to see how this develops is Mm. is whether that organization of people the kind of people you see getting out on the streets and the political parties emerging to represent those views um if, if they're going to become significant and strong enough to start to really change the course of of what we're seeing at the moment um I wouldn't be over overly optimistic, I nor would I be overly pessimistic. Mm. Um, don't underestimate even if you've got the majority against you, if you still have a you, you have very large number of people who will go out onto the streets and protest who realize that something is wrong. Um, I, I sort of have a feeling in, in my own heart, maybe it's just my instinct that um it's so extreme what is being proposed, uh, you know, whether it's lockdown or threaten, threatening lockdown, permanent suspension of civil liberties effectively, vaccinating children, any, anybody with a, you know, a child, I have two, two young girls, the idea of being forced to vaccinate them. This is so extreme that as, as this goes on, the, the numbers of people who are willing to mobilize and, and join new parties will increase. Um, but we'll have to see. Um, but that ca- that can you know, if if, if you continue out to, to have a situation where you've got very large numbers of the population who who will not buy into what is being pushed upon them um, and resist, um, you know, you, you can't keep going forever with that. And you don't need to have everybody on board. You just need a certain you know a, a certain enough of the population
0: um, to start to, to to put to create change. I think it was. Um, I think it was yeah. Stalin. Sorry, uh, Pierre. Piers, mm. But I think it was Stalin that I've said that uh, he, wasn't. He, he pulled the feathers out of a chicken and uh, and then fed the chicken. The chicken followed him, and he said, "That's what happens. You can do what you like to the population, but providing you then feed them, and make sure they're still alive. Mm. That I, yeah, you, you can put them through a lot of torture. Would that be the same at the moment? Do you think? I I, I hope not. Um, I, I think that
1: um, we can't say for sure what is going to happen. Um, what I mean, my my guesstimate at the moment is that this the propaganda around COVID nineteen is quite a fragile um, propaganda bubble, and they've, in a sense, elements who have been pushing this have bitten off possibly more than they can chew. Um, and so the idea that you can keep enough people on board by just making sure they're, they're fed and so on, and that people won't be upset about restriction of liberties, they won't be upset about vaccinations which are unnecessary being forced upon them um, and so on, I, I suspect that the kind of anger uh, towards that will will, will will not be placated. In um, enough people, um, but it's very difficult to tell. I don't know how coercive governments are going to get. I mean, mm. who would have thought a year and a half ago we'd be at a point now where governments are talking about mandating vaccination? This is this is something which is alien so in, in in liberal democracies um, and. Full of, yeah, I mean, anybody in, you know, with their, sort of in their right mind would say, is, is, is this really a good idea? The idea of vaccinating everybody with something which is not a fully tested vaccine, and you're doing it to children, and you're doing it for a virus which is, you know, the IFR on, on, on COVID-19 is, is, is like a, a flu, like a sort of mm. a, a, a medium flu. That's what the figures come in at these days. Um so this is so extreme so extraordinary I, I I think that I suspect and as we have seen that cuz resistance has grown um you're seeing it across multiple um, settings you're seeing new parties forming um that's probably just going to continue um but it might come a bigger and bigger and more worrying standoff between People who are resisting and the authorities and those forces which are trying to push the agenda through, um, and it might get. Um, I'm concerned. I'm worried about um, where that might lead. Um, but I, I'm 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 predicting that people aren't going to. Um, that enough people will continue to to realise that things aren't quite right, um, and I think that is happening. Um, and then we'll just have to see where this goes Um, and it's anybody's guess um, where this will end up obviously we're going through a great change I think probably maybe one British commentator said that we we just need to make sure that the changes which come through have some kind of democratic control Mm. and are are, um, fair and just and and, and so on Um, the world's going to change and we're, we're well into that now um, but we need to sort of get get democratic control back. I mean, that's that's what I emphasise more than anything else. Mm. But I, I think in Western in Western countries, I, I think that you know we have a long history of, of democracy, and, and I think that people will um, that that culture, as it were, will 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 persist um and you know i mean i've been you know i've i've covered and researched wars and conflicts and so on and you know i know there's a big anti-war movement over iraq but it wasn't as big as what we're seeing here and and i have to admit sort you know having taught about mainstream media bias and propaganda for, for many years and researched it i i've never come across so many people as i do today who are waking up to this who wake up to the fact that there's propaganda and there's manipulation on on a huge scale So I think all of those things are are signs that, um, you know, your reference to the Stalin example that that things aren't as bleak as that, Mm. Um, that that there is, um, but I I would, uh, having said all of that, we're in as I said to you before, we came on camera. I mean, all the alarm bells are ringing. All the alarm bells are ringing with anyone who's got a knowledge of history and knowledge of things like propaganda and um, how governments don't always act in the best interests of their populations. Um, all the alarm bells are ringing, and, and we are in, I think, extremely dangerous times. Um, unfortunately, and very worrying for the future.
0: It's interesting because you mentioned before uh, history, you know, refer back to history. Well, we know what council culture is doing at the moment. It's actually rewriting history or reinterpreting history, and it's being taught in the, the classrooms and the general populace as they get older away. For example, looking at the, the Second World War, uh, it's becoming just less people to tell us about it, more just to be able to read about it or see a particular. Uh, video about it or someone to tell you about it and if that's all cancelled critical race theory is another one. The whole the whole world seems to be uh, turning upside down and inside out. Uh, what do you think the their end game is? Because the things that I loved about for example the world 18 months ago and they had there were problems. I mean we all know there were problems but you had hope and you knew that you can get around those problems and that was just part of the evolution of mankind. Since then it's just morphed into this, I mean you know, some referred to it as 1984, I think that's like a fairy tale compared to what's happening now. Now, So what, what's the end game? What do you think they wanted to, you know, the, the puppet masters, what do you think they want to uh, achieve? Well I mean I, I mentioned
1: earlier, I mean it's in, in the interview that sort of knowledge of exactly what's being driven and who is driving what is, is unclear. And I gave the example of the World Economic Forum. Um, and I think it's, it's always helpful to, to keep in mind, because you, know, you always get these kind of allegations of conspiracy theorists and, and so mm-hmm. on, is, you know, what we're talking about is we're talking about political actors with, with resources and power and influence exploiting events to try to achieve particular objectives. Now, I mean, there are people who, I mean, there are some great um, investigative independent journalists out there, Whitney Webb, um, Corrie Morningstar. Corrie Morningstar has and ex- spoken and ex- research extensively about the World Economic Forum and that the idea that the end game is um, a restructuring of society which involves more control over individuals and their lives by the state um others have pointed out that this seems to be a kind of a reset which is about dealing with the problems of capitalism um and so that you we're, at the moment we're seeing this vast sort of transfer of wealth um upwards um and then sort of there's this to then deal with the kind of inequality or, or the potential, um, inequality which comes out of that you don't need to get more control over people so the virus gives an access as some people argue to this kind of vaccination passport digital id and of course some people argue that social credit um, is, is, is an objective in all of this so you have the same system that you have in china um, and, and that's an argument coming from, you know, which is being made by some people. And, and I think, you know, all of these are very real possibilities. Um, but they all seem to revolve as far, as far as I can see around a major restructuring of, of society, a major redistribution of wealth, much more control, much less democracy. Um, and, and, and that's as, as, as far as I can tell what's going on. I mean, um, there are many other theories and ideas out there, um, but it's certainly the case that I mean, I, one British commentator, Neil Clark, has been saying from the beginning that you know this is clearly not about a virus. This is about something else. Mm. Um, that's very clear. This, there, there are other things going on, which is you know, this is not really to do with, with the virus. This thing could have been handled quite readily um, through all the ways that we deal with all respiratory viruses and so on. But but, you know, so I I can't say for sure because I don't know exactly what the end game is. There are a variety of theories out there, but what is clear that this is some elements are looking for a major restructuring of society, and some of the drive seems to be uh, a a real end to um, proper freedom. If you have a vaccination passport, right, which you need in order to get into your, your supermarket, you're not actually free anymore. (laughs) <laughs> You're being controlled. And then, of course, that kind of technology gives, as you see with the Chinese social credit system, gives tremendous power to the state. Digital currencies, of course, that's the other thing which seems to be coming in. Um, digital currencies gives tremendous a shift in power to um, to, to, to states, to governments. Um, this is all pretty anti-democratic Um and, I, and maybe that's the one thing I say for sure. We seem to be facing is is a pretty fundamental loss of, of democracy and freedom. Um, and for all of us who think that democracy and freedom is generally generally speaking a good thing, which is which I'm
0: one of them, um, and so on, that's extremely worrying. In uh, in Australia, just wrapping up the um, uh, Queensland, well, they've all got the QR code, and uh, in uh, Western Australia also. Um, two things that came to mind, one, the uh, Premier there, who truly is, if you were to use the word buffed, it would probably apply beautifully. Um, but anyway, McGowan says that uh, the, they would not use that information to infringe upon people's rights and came out that the, the police were doing what police do and they, they were catching people coming into Western Australia using that, that data that was available and in Queensland. Um, mm-hmm. You know, funny things happen at the gym. I was there looking after the temple, which I probably should ask for my money back because it's not working. But anyway, and on mainstream media came this, uh, this bulletin, once only, not on anybody else, and I'm sure the girl got smacked for uh, reading it, the person that wrote it, said that the QR code here had a breach. And I thought, oh, hello. And he said, but not to worry, the breach was done by the police. <laughs> I thought, OK, so uh, there are many, many of us now who don't use that particular app. So uh, we'll probably be outside the supermarkets uh, with our hand out, um, trying to get some food because we won't be able to get in. Um, just uh, the last thing, um, train coming towards us. Um, is it a train or is it the light at the end of the tunnel? We can't tell at the moment. I think we are at a pivotal
1: moment, mm. um, and let's just focus on ourselves in in, in the West, and or in Australia, New Zealand. So, on. I, I think liberal democracies are at a pivotal moment now, and what happens is is down to how people resist and how much force, as it were, coercion the authorities use, um, and it could go either way. So, I don't know where we're we're sort of heading into. Whether it's a steam train or whether it's life at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, and and as this, and perhaps you know, most clear answer is, is that we don't know. It is not known at this point how this is going to play out, and this is why it needs people to mobilise and <laughs> realise that something is wrong <laughs> beyond COVID nineteen, um, and then start to, um, as it were. Educate themselves and and to and to engage, yeah. and and just quickly on your thing about the QR codes. I mean, we should have all learned a lesson after 9/11 with the Patriot Act and with bulk surveillance, mm. as Edward Snowden and so on. Governments, if they can get away with it, um, will exploit all of this just as they did after 9-11 with mass surveillance, you know, monitoring mm. everybody, everybody's communications, digital communications being effectively um, open to you know, government access and so on. Um, and so do we really, you know, governments will... But this is a, a basic rule of liberal, liberalism and what liberalism and democracy is about is, is that, you know, you need to stop governments from getting too much power. Mm. And when it. they do, mm. we end in very... We
0: go to very dark places. Um, mm-hmm. So, Watching a show on TV, it's called Debris, and the guy puts on a, um, uh, one of the uh, bad guys wears this lead outfit so he can't be surveyed um, or, or surveilled. Well, maybe uh, you know, lead outfits could uh, be the, the way of the future, just so that Big Brother can't find out where we are. It gets pretty warm, though. That's a problem. It gets pretty warm. I, I wouldn't rule out people starting to form communities
1: outside of mm. if, if this carries on. There's already people talking about this, talking about buying areas of land, forming communities mm. which get out of the grid, mm. as it were. Um, hopefully, it we doesn't come to that. Um, and
0: Dolores Cahill, is one of those. Oh, right. Okay. She, uh, yeah. She's um, a lovely lady out there fighting for the, uh, for yeah, you know, for the good cause. <laughs> Dr. Pierre's Robinson, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Uh, you now have permission to go to bed. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you.